Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. As you know, I'm always asking you for your feedback. So if you do have any specific topics or recommendation for guests, please send us an email at podcasts at hci.org. You all, we are so excited today. We have got Mark Miller on with us. Mark is a seasoned business leader, international best-selling author, a leadership growth pioneer, a thought leader, and that's not even half of it. <laughs> Mark also serves as Chick-fil-A's Vice President of High Performance Leadership. And I think this is so cool, you all. He began his Chick-fil-A career working as an hourly team member in one of the local restaurants back in the 70s. Uh, shortly thereafter, he became, this is cool, the 16th corporate employee working in the warehouse. Since that day, he has worked across all the businesses from starting the corporate communications group and the company's quality and customer satisfaction team to leading in restaurant operations, training and development, leadership development, and that's just to name a few. We're so fortunate that he did begin writing about all these experiences that he's had almost 20 years ago, and he's released about 10 books to date with over 1 million books in print in more than 25 languages, which I love. In addition to writing, Mark also enjoys encouraging and equipping leaders, especially you all if you read this most recent book that I'll share the title with you here in a moment. He's a sought-after speaker, and over the years, he's traveled to dozens of countries teaching for numerous international organizations. Oh my gosh, Mark, thank you so much for taking time for us today. Well, it is great to be with you, and thank you for that very generous introduction. A friend of mine, a friend, I'll put that in air quotes, introduced me recently as an event, and as he moved through much of what you just shared, he said, the truth is Mark can't hold down a job. And I think there is a lot of truth. I've had the privilege to work all across our business, but I love the perspective that that has created for me as I understand a lot of different facets about what it takes to build and lead a growing organization. It truly is amazing. And that's a comical. That's a great way to, you know, recruiters are like, oh, yeah, we're not looking at him. <laughs> he can't, that's he can't right. be in one place. That's right. He's a jumper. He's a jumper. <laughs> He's a jumper, yeah. Um, but first of all, I wanted to say congratulations on your latest book. This is the title of it, everyone, Culture Rules, The Leader's Guide to Creating the Ultimate Competitive Advantage, which I love, love, love that you're focusing on that and how culture can be such a part of it. But I heard it made the um, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and I believe others at this point. But as you were job hopping, (laughs) did your younger budding professional self ever even imagine that this is like I'm reading a statement that over one million books have sold? How do you like digest all of that? Well, I'm certainly thankful for all of the opportunities that I've had throughout my career. When people ask me specifically about the books, I tell them I'm the accidental author. I'll tell you a really, really quick story. 
about 25 years ago, we were working on the topic of how do we accelerate leadership development? And we didn't know much about leadership development, honestly. Now, I would argue that we were well-led, but we were small, much smaller than we are today. And I think what happens in a lot of small organizations is the process, and I'll put that in air quotes, for leadership development is really immersion and osmosis. And you just hope and pray and trust that leaders will make themselves known. But we entered a season when our leadership bench was inadequate. And again, I will make a few assumptions about your listeners. When you have a problem to solve or an opportunity to seize, you typically put a leader on it. Now, he or she may not single-handedly address that, but they'll build the team and cobble together the resources and do the things necessary to either solve the problem or seize the opportunity. Well, about 25 years ago, we realized we didn't have a bench of ready now leaders. And so I was asked by our executive committee to try and figure that out. Long story short, we did a lot of work, spent longer than I want to admit trying to figure it out global benchmarking, lots of interviews, again, because we sell chicken. So this was totally out of our lane here. And we had done some work and kind of reached our conclusions. And someone said, I remember the day. I mean, it was one of those moments that's kind of seared in my mind. They're looking at our conclusions on a single flip chart page. And someone said, what if that's not right? And it just kind of sucked all the air out of the room because we didn't know if it was right or not. And I said, well, I'm going to be with Ken Blanchard tomorrow. Would you guys like me to get his perspective? Now, your audience, some of them will know that name. Many of the younger people will not. But Ken has the distinction of being the only author in history that had three books on the Wall Street Journal list at one time. And he was the management and leadership thinker of the last generation. He's still very active, but... His most famous book, The One Minute Managers, probably sold 25 million copies around the world. So I was going to be with Ken the next day, and the team thought that was a great idea. I could share with him what we had been working on and get his perspective. And I handed him a single page with a simple outline on it. And I said, Ken, we've been trying to accelerate leadership development. I said, take a look at this. Do you think it's true? Is it valid? Will it stand the test of time? And have we missed anything? And he looked at that single page and he said, this has got to be a book. That was the first thing he said. And I blew him off. And I said, Ken, everything looks like a book to you, which is why he's probably sold 70 million books. And he said, you don't understand. He said, you guys were trying to articulate what great leaders do at Chick-fil-A. He said, what you've done is you've articulated what great leaders have done throughout history. And it has to be a book. And so he convinced me to do that first book. We did publish that, I guess, in 2004. It's called The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do. But I never sought to be an author, but I'm thankful that he pushed and prodded and that I took that step. And we've been able to serve leaders around the world with the stuff that we've been writing for over two decades. And then all of a sudden you're like, see, we're not just selling chicken. Right. <laughs> well, we're doing a little more than we that. We know a little bit about what's going on. We're doing a little bit more. 
Yeah, we're doing a little bit more. Oh gosh, well, thank you for sharing that. I know, and I, of course, because I am of the generation that knows Ken's name. So of course, when I read that you had co-authored a book with him, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I am pretty sure I have two of Ken's books in my library. So I was thrilled by that. But could you fill our listener community in on the research that you've just recently conducted? That's really you know, a big piece of our topic here today. Okay. Well, I want to give just a word of context. I told you the Ken Blanchard story that started a journey that's been playing out over the last several decades. We have said, we want to continue to try to serve our leaders and leaders around the world. And the way we've decided to do that is we try to look at emerging topics, things that maybe even are just over the horizon, but we have a strong sense that they would be topics that leaders will be grappling with at some point in the near term. And so this book, Culture Rules, is the 12th book, I guess, that we've done, each built around a topic that we felt like was emerging. So several years ago, we had begun to hear faint and maybe weak signals on the topic of culture. I just think as the world grows in complexity and there's more stress and strain in organizations, culture becomes a higher priority. You could argue it's always a priority, but when you're under stress, I think that showcases the culture. I mean, when you put a pipe under pressure, you can see the cracks in it. And so we began to work on this several years ago. And then, of course, COVID hit. And I think that just made the topic of culture even more front and center for leaders. I can't tell you how many leaders that just randomly want to talk about culture because it's become a felt need for so many leaders around the world. And so we're thankful that we began this work several years ago so that we could have an informed point of view. The research you referenced has become part of our protocol on many of these projects. We really don't want to just document our bias. Our starting point is always to say what is universally true about whatever topic we're about to explore. And more and more, in order to figure out what is universally true, we do global research. And on this particular project, we talked to or surveyed over 6,000 men and women in 10 countries to uh, get their perspectives on organizational culture. So it created a really good foundation for the work that became the book. And I've talked to, whether it was a webcast or podcast, I've had conversations with folks that likely had started their journey prior to, and then 2020 happened, and you find them saying the same thing, like just how much really took hold of and gave new meaning to some of these topics that thought leaders were addressing. So this was perfect timing, honestly, for you all to work towards us. One of the things, Mark, that I had read, and I think this really stood out to me because of the variance between these findings. So I'm going to share them with our audience and see what you have to say here. But it's a couple of bullets. So one of those was that just over 70% of U.S. leaders do believe that culture is the most powerful tool to drive performance, right? So check, yes. And then 
another bullet that I read through was, however, right, culture ranked 12th on the list of organizational priorities. So what are your thoughts around how that discrepancy or that variance, whatever we would want to refer to it as? Well, I would call it a gap. I would call it a critical gap, but I want to sharpen the point just a little bit. It was 12th on the leader's personal priority list. It wasn't 12th on the organizational priority list. So yeah, in the U.S., it's actually 72% of the leaders say that culture is the most powerful tool at their disposal to drive performance. So part of the implication is when we sat down to write the book, we didn't include a lot on why culture matters. I think we felt like there was an obligatory, you know, there are a third of people that don't believe that. So let's put a few stats and figures and kind of make the case. But we're not going to burn a lot of word count on that because over seven out of 10 leaders already believe it. But it was so troubling to us that they're not working on it, which I think in large part speaks to the trouble that most organizations are having with culture and their sub-optimizing leaders are sabotaging their own performance because they've got a tool that they say is their most powerful tool and they're telling us they're not using it. So that became a real challenge for us as a team. And we said, we really want this work to help leaders close that knowing doing gap. And so that is the essence of what we've attempted to do. To make the topic of culture approachable, to make it applicable, to make it actionable. And so when we got that research, that narrowed our focus as a research team. You know, as I hear you retell that story, I always say in my classes, like you often have those aha moments. I imagine that was a little bit of an aha moment. Yes, but it was a very challenging moment for us because culture is complicated and it's hard And we said, if we can't simplify this, we don't think we're going to be able to serve leaders. And I'll tell you, the breakthrough moment for us was when we learned a story that some of your listeners will have heard, but it's about the Navy SEALs. And a few years back, they decided they wanted to document in writing what they called their mantra. And the first thing they included in this document, the number one thing was shoot, move, and communicate. And we have spent time, a lot of time over the years with the SEALs, and we always learn from them because they're an elite organization for sure. And they would tell you that that's not all you need to know to be a SEAL, but it's what you need to live to fight another day. It's the priority when you're in battle. And we found it very, I would use the term liberating, to have simple, succinct, directive behaviors that create a disproportionate return. And we said, what is the equivalent of shoot, move, communicate for leaders? as it relates to culture. It's not all you need to know, but what is the essence that will allow you to fight another day? And that's how we came up with the three culture rules. 
Yeah, I love it. And listeners, hold on with bated breath because we're going to get there. (laughs) We're going to get to those three rules. And to hear Mark tell it, it makes even more sense to understand these three rules. And that's, I guess, where I wanted to go. You know, we always have an opportunity as the interviewer to kind of focus in on our topic. And one of the things, Mark, I know you are a subject matter expert in a lot of areas, right? And I know your passion is definitely this area. That's what job hopping allows you to do is you're able to get a lot of experiences. But because we are a community of HR, you know, Mark and I had chatted and I wanted really the opportunity to think about this from an HR perspective. And you all listeners, I know throughout the year, we've talked about managing burnout. We've talked about personal well-being and a lot of other topics that just peripherally impact an organization's culture. But we're excited to have that opportunity to be able to drill down and focus on HR community and building that workplace culture. So Sharing just a little bit about one of our models that we abide by at HCI. Well, I suspect you've heard of this before, but it's the strategic human resource business model. So it's elevating, right, from the days of old when HR, we always say they were in the policing and politeness business, right? So we're elevating that role of an HR person to be more strategic. And really, it's building out that partnership as a priority for business value. So my question for you to really bring this back to our HR community, where do you find that intersection between what we call strategic HR or HR, people leaders, and the influence on culture. I think you are uniquely and perfectly positioned to have a disproportionate impact on the culture of your organization. I think at the risk of oversimplification, because I sit in our people function, and so I'm on the senior leadership team, and I understand the dynamic world of human resources. And I know it's complex and I got all that, but as it relates to culture, all you have to do is help your leaders apply the three rules. Yeah. I love that. You tell me when you want to go there, but I think, I know you believe in strategic partnership and that's at the heart of your model and that the HR function should serve the organization. And I got all that. But if your leaders don't embrace and play by these three rules, you will never have a thriving, soul-enriching, life-giving culture. You will not drift there. No culture drifts to greatness. Thrive was the exact word. And of course, we're called nine to thrive. So thrive was on the tip of my tongue when you were mentioning that. It's that how do we thrive? So let's dive into it then. And do you want to share? I've got very simple, you know, statements around aspire, amplify, and adapt. But do you just want to share with our listeners a little bit more? Well, let me do this. Let me give just a really, really quick 50,000 foot look of those three rules. I want to keep our eye on the clock here. Aspire. The leader must share their hopes and dreams for the culture. And as an HR professional, I think you got to lean in. And say to your leaders at all levels, what are your hopes and dreams for this culture? 
And for the leader that says, well, I've got it in my head. I've got it in my heart. It's like fantastic. It can start there, but it can't stay there because you can't create it by yourself. You're articulating it so others can join you on the journey to make it a reality, to bring it to fruition. And if people don't know what you're trying to create, the chances of creating it are pretty close to zero. What you have is a lot of fragmentation and it's not healthy. So aspire. What are your hopes and dreams? Amplify. You must always be looking for ways to amplify the aspiration. Now, HR professionals can and do a lot in that arena, but what we do as HR professionals pale in comparison to what leaders can do. They have to lead on this topic. And then we support and we build infrastructure and other mechanisms and we ensure that structure and compensation and many of these other things also amplify the aspiration. But the leaders, they've got to walk the talk. It's about role modeling. And they've got to tell the stories of the people who are living out your aspiration. And I think we can encourage them. I'll give you one quick example. I was not serving as the HR leader in this case because I was interviewing a leader for this book. And he had just shared with me all this wonderful work that he and the senior team had done to refresh their mission, vision, values. And this was an organization over 100 years old. And I thought they had done spectacular work and it was compelling. And then a few minutes into the interview, he said, I am going to have to excuse myself early today because I need to go do an onboarding class for new employees. This was the CEO. And I said, fantastic. I love to see CEOs involved. And I said, I assume you're going to share with them what you just shared with me. And he said, never thought about it. I'm going, well, what are you going to talk about if you're not going to talk about the culture? So I'm saying, had you been that HR person, you're just trying to get the senior people to talk about the culture in the appropriate settings. That's just one way to amplify the aspiration. So you have to aspire and you have to amplify. And third, and this is a slippery slope here, a lot of organizations miss this because if you have a clear aspiration and amplify it well, the culture will begin to move toward that aspiration. And leaders love to get things done and we love to check things off. So far too many leaders, once the culture starts to look like what they had envisioned, they're going to want to say, check, got it, moving on. If you try to shrink wrap it, you'll suffocate it and you'll actually kill the culture, which is why the third rule is to adapt. You have to constantly be looking for ways to enhance the culture. You can certainly and should close any critical gaps. We call them toxins in the book. If you've got toxins, you have to eradicate those. Left unchecked, they become maladies and they will kill your organization. But let's assume you don't have any toxins that deserve that level of attention in the moment. Then you can double down on strengths. That's another way to enhance your culture. Or you can add new capabilities. A few years ago, our senior leadership said we need to be more innovative. Not that we're strangers to innovation. Truett Cathy invented the chicken sandwich. But our innovation was sporadic at best. And we said, we want it to become part of our culture. So we 
added that, if you will, a new capability to our cultural aspiration, began to amplify that through all the things that you could imagine that we would do. And here we are 15 years later, and we're much more innovative as a culture. Aspire, amplify, and adapt. Those are the three rules. I think you are uniquely positioned to help your leaders play the game of culture building well. Teach them the rules, keep them on track, encourage them, challenge them, and you can create an amazing culture. You obviously did a lot of interviewing, surveying for this particular read. You came up with these three, Aspire, Amplify, and Adapt. Do your leaders or have you had conversations? How are they overcoming, and I guess it could be in any one of these categories, overcoming that challenge or that gap? You exactly said it. The CEO who says, yep, I've got to go lead this onboarding class. Oh, are you going to talk to them about what you just talked? Nope, (laughs) I hadn't planned on it. How are you seeing organizations kind of face that challenge to move from where they are today and where they could potentially be following these rules? Are you noticing a theme of challenges that kind of fall in their way? Well, Keep in mind, the book's been out 30 days, so I don't want to set the expectation bar too high, but I will say the HR community is uniquely positioned because so many leaders, and I've seen this around the globe, they look to HR. Now, I think in many cases, in my opinion, they over-delegate. Right. I want HR to assist. Leaders can't delegate the responsibility for culture. They own it, whether they want it or not. Now, they can deputize and enlist and should the support of human resources professionals. But I think the HR team, they've got to keep leaders focused on the preeminence of culture. Culture affects everything that happens in an organization. Sales, profits, customer satisfaction, retention, engagement. Make your list of metrics. Now, there could be issues along the way, but it all starts with the culture. Peter Drucker, the late management and leadership thinker, said culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it was true when he said it 50 years ago, and it's going to be true 50 years from now. There's nothing more important that a leader can work on. He said, well, what about performance? Culture is the number one strategy to drive performance. And 72% of them in the U.S. know that. So I think HR needs to keep leaders focused on culture. How do you think they do that? Like you said, with even aspire, amplify, and adapt, right? We know the work is not simple, check, check, check. But in your book, one of the things that you do in your chapters is give that kind of that quote unquote, there's my air quotes, your move, right? Or an action plan. Right. So what would you, from an HR perspective, what would be your move? How do we get in there and start moving our leaders towards Aspire, Amplify, Adapt? So much has to do with context. So much has to do with the relationship or lack thereof that the human resources professional has with their leaders. All that matters. But if you want to get leaders' attention, 
let's assume right now, if it's 12th on their priority list, and we know that engagement is one indicator of culture, and I write about this in the book, I don't necessarily think it's the preferred, but a lot of people use engagement as a shortcut for the state of a culture. So let's assume for a moment that some of your listeners do that. Again, there's a cautionary tale in the book, but let's assume that. And we know that engagement in American companies is awful. So I think you can have a conversation with leaders about, hey, would you like to improve engagement? And what would happen if you do? That'd be one path in. Another path in would just be to help them with listening help them with listening mechanisms, whether it be qualitative or quantitative. Our research, and we've now repeated this on three different studies, there tends to be a huge gap between what leaders think and what frontline people think, like 40-point gap. If you ask leaders, is this a great place to work, compared to ask frontline people if this is a great place to work, so forth and so on. And so that would be another path in, is to show the leaders the gap help them understand that their worldview in most cases globally does not match the front line. And so I think you need to think about those ways and others to engage in a meaningful conversation. If the people in your organization can't state your aspiration, you know you're probably not moving towards it. But it goes back to if the leaders can't articulate the aspiration, you know your chances of success are virtually zero. Wonderful response. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Because I know, to your point, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But one of the things that reminds me of is we see research over and over again about how employees want to feel connection. To your point, we want to feel connection to what the aspirations are, right? We want to feel connection to the vision of the organization, We want to feel connected to the outcomes, you know, whatever those planted seeds look like to create that connection. But that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, you know, figure out those listening mechanisms as a way in and then also thinking about, hey, let's start with engagement to your point. You know, engagement isn't the be all end all, but we know that it's a way in towards our culture. So, yes, I love it. I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. It does. Like I said, I think that For some folks listening, they're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Great reminder. It's affirmed. It's affirmed. But for others, you know, they're like, gosh, where do we even start? Where do we start with this? Sure. Let me say this. Because of the diversity of your audience, I have 100% confidence that these rules will work in every organization in the world. And that's what I loved about this book. Yep, I agree 100%. As a learning and development professional myself, show me, don't tell me, right? I feel like that is echoed in your book as well. And that really fits right along with what you're saying. Simple in statement, not simple in work, but these simple statements. Yep. Well, hey, thank you, Mark. I know you are incredibly busy. So I just, gosh, I cannot thank you enough for spending this time with us and getting some great tips out there and sharing the wisdom of your most recent book with our listeners. So we're so grateful to have you on with us today. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. And we're going to wrap up here, you all. But Mark, I know you had mentioned to me, which this is beyond my wildest dreams, but I know you had mentioned to me that just in case listeners had other questions, you had some information to give. Yes. 
if you want more information on the book, you can go to leadeveryday.com. And that is basically a book site with other resources are there, but the site is focused on the book. And I would also share my cell number, 678-612-8441, in case you have additional questions. That's amazing. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you offering your talents to our group. So thank you so much for offering that. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be with you. Absolutely. Well, all right, Nine to Thrive listeners, just that quick reminder there. If you do have any ideas for topics or guests, send us an email at podcasts at hci.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day, everyone.